1: Live from the Iowa caucuses. It is time right now that we bring
2: this world together. We need a Democrat who is willing to get out and fight. The way we're going to win
3: is to bring everybody to our side in this fight. This is Bloomberg Sound On.
4: If you don't think we can get this done, well, we can How are we going to stand
3: up for the people of the United States together? Let's take back this country and lead the world again. It's within our power to do it. Bloomberg Sound On.
1: With Kevin Cerrilli live from the Iowa Caucuses on Bloomberg Radio. Bloomberg
5: Television and Bloomberg Radio, and we have every angle covered. The policy, the politics, and a panel of... Political all-stars, truthfully, here in our bureau in downtown Des Moines. Adrian Elrod's here, a Democratic strategist, former director of strategic communications for the Hillary Clinton presidential campaign. Birthday boy Fred Hockberg is in the house, the former chairman of the Export-Import Bank, out with the book everyone is talking about in economic circles, from the Wall Street Journal to the Financial Times. Trade is not a four-letter word. And Rick Davis, Bloomberg politics contributor and former 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 campaign manager to the late great Senator John McCain of his 2008 presidential campaign. Lots to get through. Stacey Walker is going to call in a Bernie Sanders advisor and Julian Castro as well. But first, let's get a check of the
2: headlines from my good friend, Nancy Lyons. Nance. Thanks, Kevin. President Trump's lawyers took their final turn to persuade the Senate and the voting public that the president has acted only in the national interest and they made an appeal for bipartisanship regarding impeachment. Bloomberg's Irv Chapman reports from Capitol Hill.
6: Nancy, the members of the House described the president's effort to promote a Ukrainian investigation into the Bidens and withhold military aid to press the matter. Representative Val Demings. The president got caught and the scheme was exposed. In response, President Trump ordered a massive cover up. Kenneth Starr said the House had failed to prove a high crime or misdemeanor.
1: One so grave and so serious to tell the American people your vote, and the last election is hereby declared null and void.
6: The lawyers asserted with the expectation that the Republican majority will agree that President Trump acted within his authority in foreign policy and in dealing appropriately with congressional investigators.
2: Nancy? Again, Bloomberg's Irv Chapman. The Washington Post is now reporting Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, moderate Democrat on friendly terms with the White House, is asking his colleagues to consider censuring President Trump. Plenty of unknowns as Iowa holds its presidential caucuses tonight. The race has been fluid with no clear signs of a winner. Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Pete Buttigieg have all led at different times in the last six months. Well, tonight may be all about the Iowa caucuses, but tomorrow is another election day to fill the late Elijah Cummings House seat in Maryland's 7th District. Twenty-four
7: Democrats and eight Republicans are running in the special primary. They include Cummings' widow, Maya Rockymore Cummings, former Congressman Kwasi Fume, and House of Delegates Majority Whip Talmadge Branch. The special general election for the seat is on April 28th. The Baltimore Sun reports registered Democrats outnumber Republicans by more than four to one,
2: so the winner of tomorrow's primary is likely to be the overall winner. Steve POTUS, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 HD2. The Virginia Senate has blocked... One of Governor Ralph Northam's top gun control bills, making it another measure that the Democratic governor supports that may not end up passing the legislature. The Senate Judiciary Committee voted today against a bill that would make it a felony to recklessly leave a loaded, unsecured firearm in a way that endangers a minor. The legislation is one of eight gun measures the governor has urged lawmakers to adopt. The National Park Service says it has approved a plan to improve Buzzard Point Park along the Anacostia Waterfront near Nats Park. The improvements include more open space and recreational opportunities as well as an accessible waterfront. The Matthew Henson Center will also be repurposed into a community gathering place. It's time now for the Beltway Business Report. Here is Bloomberg's Tracy Jonkey. Investors were placing bets the Chinese economy will be severely
4: impacted long-term by the ongoing coronavirus scare, but that the U.S. economy may not. Even after mainland China's main stock index fell almost eight percent, Wall Street partially bounced back from a rough Friday. Dow's up 144 points at 28,400, a gain of half a percent. The Nasdaq up one and three quarters percent, 122 points at 9273. The S&P up 23 points at 32. 49. Another rebound was in U.S. manufacturing in January. The Institute for Supply Management reports a return to growth after a slump in the last half of last year. That's thanks to substantial growth in new orders and production, like the overall index jumped the most in six years. A founder of Planet Hollywood is now serving chicken wings in Baltimore and the district, but you can't go to the restaurant. Swing Squad from Robert Earl is a delivery only business which opened last Friday in 15 other cities as well. Some of Earl's other virtual restaurants serve pot pies and vegan burgers. You're up to date on business from the Beltway to Baltimore. I'm Tracy Jonke. This is Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2.
2: Thanks Tracy. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Quick Take by Bloomberg powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts and more than 100 20 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Back to you, Kevin, in Des Moines. Thank you, Nancy.
5: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. It is freezing cold, folks, in Des Moines, Iowa. It's like below 30 degrees, but it is caucus night, and the weather is clear, which means there could be some good turnout. Here to go through it all, as the caucus are set to open in just under two hours, Adrian Elrod, Fred Hochberg, and Rick Davis. Adrian, I just want to open it up because when you have three political insiders, like all each of the three of you, I mean, I don't really have to do much work right now. So, <laughs> what's going to happen, Adrian? Your
6: In pay two, will sh- be the same.
5: Well,
8: <laughs> exactly. We need to wrap up. Let's not get Kevin. personal, Come Fred. on. Come on. <laughs> listen,
5: let's not get personal. All right, go ahead, Adrian.
8: So, look, I think those of us on the ground, I've been here for a couple of days. I think it is pretty much a, a given, I don't want to say a given fact, but. The momentum is on Bernie Sanders' side, mm-hmm. and people do believe that he's got a significant edge in terms of winning the, the caucus tonight. Second, third, fourth place, who knows, right? I think it comes down between Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, and Joe Biden's campaign. Elizabeth Warren, as we've talked about for a long time, has had a ground game here since before she even decided to run For the presidency. She had a ground game in 2018 for the congressional races. So she's got a significant advantage organizationally on the ground. Um, You know, Joe Joe Biden's got the national polls, he's got the name ID. are his people going to turn out in the areas that he needs them to turn out to? I mean, he, his campaign has admitted that they don't quite have the ground game, the sophistication of some of these other campaigns, um, you know, that are in the top four. And then, of course, you've got Pete Buttigieg. You see a lot of support around here. Um, I certainly don't want to get in the way of, of him because we've got one of his biggest supporters to my left here. Um, Oxford. But, but I but I think, look, here here's the bottom line. I think most importantly, Joe Biden needs a top three finish. I think that's what everyone's looking to see tonight. Does he have a top three? If not, if he finishes fourth. How does that impact his race going forward? That's what we're all going to be looking for. And,
6: you know, elections are about the future. I actually, I went to the uh, Pete Buttigieg and the Joe Biden rally yesterday. Same,
5: I, I bumped into you there. Yeah,
6: exactly. And I wanted to sort of see, and the thing I, I, I thought about Joe Biden, and I'll, I met a lot of people out here, I did some door knocking this morning to just to sort of get a sense of it. You know, it's always talk about going back and restoring, and po- elections are about the future. So... Um, I know that's where he's coming from, but I think that that presents a problem for him.
7: Yeah, Fred, I think you're right about what they want the elections to be about the future. But look who we nominate. You know, we we nominate the past almost every time. You know, the average age of the nominees have been over 70 for the last, you know, three presidential elections.
4: But
5: I want to say that one more time. The average age of the nominee for the last three presidential elections has been
7: over 70. Yeah, sure. Wow. And so, like, when you think about the trend, uh, you're you're you're. The hot people, right, who brings them out on their seats, who gets them out on a cold winter night, tends to be the exciting younger Mm -hmm. people. I mean, Barack Obama was the change candidate. You know, he was actually young uh, for a presidential Mm -hmm. candidate. Mm -hmm. And yet uh, tonight, look at who's running the tables. I mean,
5: Bernie, the oldest candidate ever to run for president. Rick Rick Davis is here. Rick Davis is here. He, of course, is a Republican insider, previous campaign manager to Senator John McCain's 08 campaign. Rick, does Iowa matter for Democrats? I mean, truthfully, here's a state that Trump carried by 10 percentage points in the last election. Does it really matter for Democrats anymore?
7: You know, it probably shouldn't. Uh, You know, when you ask Democrats here, uh, we spent a lot of time this weekend talking to them. uh, They say, oh, yeah, you know, I was going to be a targeted state in the general election. And you kind of laugh because they weren't anywhere near it. And (laughs) and when you look at, uh, you know, the the potential nominees, uh, they're not really ready made. I mean, Bernie Sanders is not someone who's likely to be able to pull out the rural vote. Uh, You know, to challenge Trump in the uh, Mississippi Valley Uh, and Buttigieg uh, is uh, not really ready. And and Biden, I mean, you know, he's having trouble competing in a in a caucus, nevertheless, a general election here.
8: Yeah, and Rick raises a good point. I mean, And I also think when you look at historically for Democrats, it does matter a lot here, especially when you've got a large primary race right now when, you know, we're sort of seeing, you know, Joe Biden and and, and Bernie Sanders are arguably the front runners sort of, you know, duking it out, depending on which poll you look at. But the, way, the race to a lot of people is still pretty wide open. For Republicans, they don't traditionally, like, you know, Mike Huckabee won Iowa, what, Rick Santorum won Iowa, like, they don't always go on to be the nominee, but in the Democrat party. It does matter. They always get to be the nominee. They always get to be the nominee. (laughs) So this is very important. This is also very important. I feel like what I'm about to say sounds very cliche because we've been talking about it a lot over the last three or four days. But if Bernie Sanders wins tonight, there's a good chance regardless of his performance tonight that he wins New Hampshire. If he goes, if he wins Iowa, New Hampshire, goes into Nevada with a win, which he should because the Latinx voters are very much in his corner. Um... He's going to be very, very, very hard to it's stop. Expectations. I mean, that's what it's I wanted to ask you, Fred. So,
5: I mean, we're, we're two out, under two hours out from the start of the Iowa caucus. And make sure you tune into Bloomberg Television and Radio all night because we're going to have special coverage with Rick and, of course, led by the David Weston who will be uh, following all of that for us. But, Fred, I mean, should Bernie not win tonight? I mean, it's a, it's, it will be deemed a failure. But if Biden were to win tonight, then he would be exceeding expectations.
6: Right. It's it, we all know it's all about expectations, right? Uh, and number one, and number I have none in my life.
5: <laughs> Not to, just to take. And a you're step likely back. to exceed them all as caucus <laughs> as because a caucus goer, you know, it's very stoic, it's very daily stoic. I don't have expectations. Your and life you can't is be, great.
6: Expectations.
5: And, no, and then you can't be unhappy if you don't have expectations. Go ahead, Fred. I interrupted the birthday on uh, the birthday. And,
6: and the thing, just going back to Rick, and you know, then you, you sort of. Dismissed Pete with a "He's not ready." You know what prepares I, who, me? Some, no. All right, good. I, I'm just Rick, the host. Rick said that. You know what prepares someone to be president of the United States? There are very few jobs. You know, a mayor, a governor, a senator. You know, they they've not there's not been the automatic path forward. So um,
7: certainly not the last one.
6: No. <laughs> so
5: I think we're gonna we're gonna you know we're gonna see how this turns Can out. Can Buttigieg tonight? go to New Hampshire if he's fourth place?
6: Well, he certainly have the funds to go to New Hampshire, and it all depends on what, where he fall, falls. How, how is it a near fourth? You know, is he almost neck and neck? You know, He may do a lot better. I mean, the expectations seem to be, from the national media, not high on Pete. You know, just speaking for someone who's done a bunch of political work in Iowa over the years,
7: you know, we always had this slogan in, in our sort of caucus efforts in, in here that uh, forget the polls, follow your eyes, mm-hmm. believe what you see. And and when you look at who's got the energy and who's pulling the big crowds, I mean, Buttigieg had 2,000 people last yesterday afternoon before the Super Bowl at an event. Well, first of all, getting anybody to go somewhere before a Super Bowl, right. especially when basically the hometown team is running, is hard to do. No,
5: I was at that rally, and there was something else that I noticed there when I was talking to voters. Hispanics. Yep, Buddha Judge has been able to unite Hispanics. As has Bernie Sanders. Coming up, much more from our panel of political all-stars: Adrian Elrod, Fred Hochberg. Check out his new book. Trade is not a four-letter word. And Rick Davis. Uh, and we're going to check in with the Bernie Sanders campaign and Julian Castro, who has endorsed Elizabeth Warren. I'm Kevin Cerilli. Download the Bloomberg Sound On Podcast on Apple iTunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm talking to Don Jr. next hour. You don't want to miss that. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: This is Sound On with Kevin Cerilli, live from the Iowa caucuses on Bloomberg Radio.
3: To my mind, this election is about two fundamental issues. First, it is absolutely imperative for the future of this country that we defeat the most dangerous president in the modern history of this country. <laughs>
5: That was Bernie Sanders speaking here in Iowa at a presidential campaign rally. Joining us on the telephone line, Stacy Walker, Lynn County Supervisor, and Bernie Sanders, Iowa State Campaign Co-Chair. Stacy, it's great to be here. I'm at the downtown Marriott uh, here in Iowa as well. All right, before, I, before we get to the, the burning part of it, I, I just want to inform our audience, how does this thing work? What's going to happen at 7 o'clock tonight local?
3: Well, uh, first off, Kevin, thank you for having me. Um, at the Iowa caucuses, folks who are in line before 7, uh, at I think there's some 1,695 precinct locations across the state, are going to enter into the room, they are going to get registered, and will be asked to basically go to the corner of the candidate they're supporting. And if that candidate um, uh, receives 15% of uh, the people there, they will be viable, and the folks who don't receive 15% of that population will have the opportunity to realign.
5: So then how long does it go on for? And I find this fascinating for so many reasons. Chief among them is that it's not a close ballot. Where I grew up, I'm not sure people would want to know who, who everybody's voting for, but you see your neighbor and you know exactly, literally, where they stand. But how many rounds does this go on for, Stace?
3: Well, you know, I I think it really uh, depends on the size of uh, the uh, caucus. Um, uh, Really, you you might have some precincts where, you know, only a handful of people uh, show up. So those things can kind of be decided relatively quickly. Um, I'm not sure how many uh, rounds the caucuses are allowed to last. Uh, but I've seen caucuses in the past uh, go through uh, uh, a, a couple phases of realignment before uh, it is clear who the winner of that precinct is.
5: All right. I'm hearing from our panel here that they say it's two rounds. Though That's I it. it.
6: It's just two. Fred
5: two only and Adrian Elrod, Democratic Strategist. So. They're saying two rounds. I do want to know that I, when I read up on this, some counties and some precincts actually have – different rules, so I don't want to paint a monopoly, but they are allowed to have different rules for each one. Yes,
6: but, but I think the rounds are still limited to two to the li- different correct. rules. about two
8: alignments. Oh, the two threshold
6: alignments. is the different rules. Yes. The threshold, depending on how many yeah. people are there to begin with. But be 15% percent but is still, the monopoly.
8: It's 15% across
5: yeah. the board.
6: Yeah. yeah. But okay. in some cases, if there are not enough people, it could be higher.
5: But see, even this Correct. conversation with Adrian with Fred and with Stacey Walker, who's of course the Lynn County Supervisor and Bernie Sanders, Iowa State campaign co-chair is fascinating because for folks outside of the Hawkeye state, it's so interesting. All right, Stace, a lot of momentum with the Bernie Sanders, why is he going to win tonight what 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 what's driving it
3: so let me let me start off by saying this we We do expect uh, the Senator to be successful. But we also know that this is a very, very tight race. I mean, if you're looking at some of the latest polls, it kind of shows, uh, essentially a dead heat in, in some of the, some of the polls that I've seen. And we know that there's probably three to four candidates that are going to be viable, uh, in most of the uh, precincts across the state. But what sets the Sanders campaign apart is that the state director here, Misty Rebick, and the field director, Michael Facillo, They've organized a ground game unlike any that I've ever seen in the history of modern uh, American politics here. Um, We have, you know, ordinary Canvas launch events where hundreds of people are showing up to knock doors. And I've been traveling all across the state. And no matter what town I'm in, what city I'm in, you always see, you know, two or three people out on the streets with a clipboard and a Bernie Sanders uh, button on their shirt. So this campaign has been able to be everywhere. And the key to winning caucuses is having your people uh, turn out, show up, and commit uh, to your team. And I think we're going to do that.
5: All right, Stacey Walker, Lynn County Supervisor and Bernie Sanders, a uh, state campaign co-chair. You have been so generous with your time, Stace, and I know you've got to get to a caucus site, so I'm going to let you go. Thanks for calling in. That was Stacey Walker, everybody, the Iowa State campaign co-chair, the guy here in Iowa, the Hawkeye State for Sanders campaign. Adrian, you just listened to that. Go.
8: Uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think he's exa- exactly right that. The momentum is on the side of Bernie Sanders. I mean, I even my hotel, I'm seeing a lot of people who yeah. um, are clearly in from out of town who are here to support Bernie. Um, he's got a lot of energy and momentum on his side. Um, but here's the thing that I think we've got to keep in perspective. And I realize that we're here to talk about Iowa. But we've got to keep in mind there are 41 delegates, Kevin, that are awarded tonight out of the entire caucus process, which includes over 3,200 delegates, right? 41. So after
5: the... I, wait, but let's paint because this is so important. And, and now we're getting in the weeds with this segment, and that's what I wanted to do here. We now know how the caucus works with the, the thresholds and the and the rounds. Now we're going to talk delegates. Forty-one delegates total out of thirty-two hundred nationwide.
8: Correct, correct, exactly. So after the first four states vote—Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina—five percent, Kevin, of the total delegates awarded in the Democratic primary will yeah, be but awarded it's an after, those first 5%. Four. after Super <laughs> Tuesday. After Super Tuesday, that number hits forty percent, right? So this is very important in terms of momentum. In terms of pre earned media, you know, we talked about if Joe Biden doesn't get in the top three, I think it's very hard. Him to raise money going forward. So it does matter for a lot of different, it, it, it matters differently to each candidate, right? But we still have to keep from it perspective it's 41 delegates that we're talking about here. Right,
6: which is just over 1% of the delegates yeah, total. Correct. Wow. Right, right. But it creates momentum, and I think people do see still, we're made to be after today, that Iowa voters really get an upfront and personal view of every one of these
5: candidates. I, amen. Because when I was at those rallies over the weekend, wow. I mean, that's what people just don't – talk about a luxury. If you're a political junkie in Iowa, you get to shake hands and meet with every single candidate, and there's a lot of them. And, and I find that fascinating. You know why I also think it matters, and, and, I, and I think both of you would agree with me for this? It's really good training for these staffers. It's really good training for of their course. campaign teams because they can replicate this, not just and, – and I want to I, – this is what I learned from last cycle, which was my first campaign when I was embedded with the Trump campaign. Not just – for Super Tuesday and organizing and getting Mm -hmm. out the vote, but for when you're meeting with world leaders and you're sleep-deprived and you're having to go to 8 million states, it feels like, and you don't know which hotel you're waking up in. When you have to do that in the White House that's it's also training for that
8: no absolutely it's and it's into your point about training for the staff going right. forward it's very important now we've also keep, got to keep in mind kevin and fred obviously knows this very well too bernie does very very well in caucus days because number True. one it does take a lot of organization number two young people are more apt to stay at a caucus right like <laughs> if this thing if some of the caucuses go until 10 11 o'clock at night you know, the odds are the younger people are going to be there longer. Fascinating. You know, yeah. And I'm, I
5: like to go to bed early. All right, Adrian stays, Fred stays. Coming up, we're checking in with Elizabeth Warren's campaign. Top staffer on that front. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin
0: Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cerilli, live from the Iowa caucuses on Bloomberg Radio. I'm not going to attack another Democrat, particularly things that aren't true. And that's what I'm not going to do. We can't do that.
5: I'm Kevin Cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. That was Joe Biden speaking yesterday here in Des Moines, where I am, because in just under 90 minutes, the Hawkeye State. The Iowa caucus goers.
6: That's Fred Hawkberg. <laughs> the birthday boy. Fred Hochberg's here. I, I'm uh, giving Kevin a hard time about those Hawkeye state. All right, we're going to
5: get to that in a second. <laughs> Let me introduce the other panelists. I don't want to. I don't want to overshadow anyone. Adrian Elrod and of course Rick Davis. R- Adrian Elrod is a Clinton insider, Democratic insider, you know, all around all star <laughs> and a country music fan. I am, which is great because they have a whole. Back in D.C., they don't play a lot of country anyway. Rick Davis is here. He was the campaign manager for John McCain in '08, and is with his colleague. Who's your colleague? John Seaton. John Seaton sitting behind him.
7: Infamous a, Republican from Iowa who
5: literally led McCain's Iowa operation here. And I said, "Do you still have the bug? He goes, "Absolutely, I still have the bug. So maybe we'll maybe I'll be interviewing you in like four years for the Republicans. Fred, why do you have this thing
6: about Hawkeye State? You don't like it? It's only during election season, only during almost election weeks, so we call it the Hawkeye State, the Nutmeg State, the, the Empire state? state, Connecticut. Oh,
5: I never knew that. And Pennsylvania is the Keystone the, State. No one calls it the, the road, road to, to Pen- sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue. You lived in
6: Pennsylvania. It. You really it's the greatest it, state it, in the union. You really called it the Keystone State.
5: I, I, I'm calling it right now, Keystone State, Pennsylvania. It's because
6: it's election year. That's
5: basically everything you,
8: you
6: say is because
5: Iowa, of the
7: election. Iowa,
8: Right, yeah, exactly. so they say the Hawkeye State. Yes, you yes. know, it's just it's I another way. I went to Zombie to say
5: Burger Iowa. today, by the way, and ordered oh. a salad. I thought David Sucherman, my TV producer's head was going to fall. He's like, "You're ordering a salad?" I said, "It's a marathon, not a sprint." Um,
7: yeah, but bye. you are
5: in the king of meat and pork. Well, I was at 801. <laughs> yeah. I had a great fillet last night. There you, you go. Know, it was amazing, Fred. This state that we're in, Iowa, or the Hawkeye State is really one of those states that's ground zero for economic policy as it relates to USMCA, as it relates to U.S.-China trade policy. You have a book out, which I love, and whether you agree with them or not, it's a great analysis and a great snapshot of trade policy in the global world. Uh, it's called Trade is Not a Four-Letter Word. So as based upon your analysis as someone who was in the Obama administration, chaired the Exim Bank, and knows these issues, how is they're not talking about impeachment here in Iowa they're talking about trade policy agriculture
6: uh, and this is a big accident. I spent a lot of time here when I was chairman of the XM Bank yeah. Export Info Bank and then writing this book I came out here because it's a state that relies on commodity exports a lot of soybeans and also farm equipment industrial equipment so it really does it's got both sides of the of the coin here um I was surprised when I was out here. A lot of farmers were sticking with President, Obama, President Trump, excuse me, President Trump on the trade war with China. Um, I think they. That's counter narrative to what a lot of folks in the mainstream media report. Right, but they. But I agree with you. A lot of them saw Trump. They say, "Well, he's he's a rich guy. He's a business guy. He must be doing it for the right reasons." And I'm not. I'm not agreeing with that. But that was the sentiment that came through loud and clear. Uh, I think the one problem with this new China deal that we're talking about, it's a little bit more of a truce or a ceasefire than a trade deal. Whether these farmers are going to put all their, quote-unquote, soybeans in one basket and try and sell all that to China, knowing it could be turned off at any moment again, I think that's – I'm not sure it's really going to work out. Did you so see
5: far. this on the Bloomberg terminal? Did you see this? That trade truce might have gotten the flu, might have gotten coronavirus, because now Bloomberg's reporting earlier today that a lot of Chinese officials – Vice Premier of China, General Secretary uh, Xi Jinping, it, they're saying, "Hey, they don't like all the scrutiny that they're getting from the U.S. on the coronavirus. Talk about shaking the markets. That volatility not coming from impeachment, folks. It's coming from the coronavirus." Rick, I want to ask you something because Fred just laid out in terms of the economic policy as it relates to trade, but I want to ask you about ethanol. Ethanol's king here. Ethanol
7: is king here. Uh, it's been king for a long time, and uh, it's. Uh, it's been something that's been a big debate both in the Republican Party. Uh not everybody my old boss, John McCain, hated ethanol. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons it made John Seton's job so hard. <laughs> it's like go get us votes in a state where I'm gonna shut down the entire industry. Uh and, and that's the weird thing about farming here, right? I'm you gotta remember. At your
5: humor not a, that's not an opinion of ethanol, just for the record.
1: <laughs> go ahead.
7: And uh and so, you know, you think of farming as like uh food consumption and it's not in a state by and large. It's really uh production and uh and so you have farmers here who uh, are really, uh, uh, they're into hydrocarbons,
6: right? <laughs> they want to see ethanol being used as a major factor in transport fuels. Actually, I'll tell you, I, put it, I did a little work on that when I was out here on my book. The corn that we use in tortillas and everything else usually comes from the Netherlands, Romania. It's not American corn. Really? Most the corn American corn ethanol. here. My, used for ethanol. My dreams yeah. are shattered.
5: Yeah. I always thought I was eating American corn. Not I, even, but here in Iowa, it's grown in Iowa. Yeah, but it's yeah, just but the they're, fuel. They're, 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 they've got so it the corn I, I ate last night at 801 It's probably Stakehouse. imported from probably imported. Oh, I am devastated. Yeah.
8: Yeah. <laughs> no, but here's what I think is interesting. I'd love to get everyone else's thoughts on the panel about this, too. But, you know, ethanol typically plays a very prominent role in both Democratic and pri- in, in Republican primaries, or in this case, obviously, the caucus, the debate over the caucus. I have heard almost no mention of ethanol, at least in the Democratic primary. Um, it was a big deal for us in 2016, um, and it certainly was a big deal in 2008 when I worked on Hillary Clinton's campaign. It is interesting to me, and I'd love to get everyone's thoughts, especially that Mr. Iowa expert over here. Why are we not hearing more about this in the De- Democratic primary?
7: Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing I'm surprised by is I don't hear very much about climate policy at all. I mean, when you really think about the issues that uh, the Democrats are talking about, I mean, first of all, electability is 50 percent of everything they talk about, right? Mm-hmm. So then you take that off the equation, and, and most of it is health care, right, or some form of health care, right, whether it's drug pricing or accessibility or whatnot, and, and, and maybe – uh, one question out of 100 at the debates have been about climate policy. So when you really spin it around, why talk about ethanol in a way that you uh, think it's a component part of a good environmental health policy if nobody seems to want to engage on the issue?
8: Well, I think young people do care a lot about climate change. And I think even though it's not a question that you hear on the debate stage a lot, I know it's definitely something that's driving a lot of younger voters. That's why the Sunrise Movement endorsing Bernie Sanders has been a big deal. But you're right. And well, why I think,
7: doesn't Bernie talk about it? He well, and we, and we
8: need to, and, and yeah. I think, and I hope, as somebody who is, you know, that's a top issue for me, I hope that we hear more about this going forward. Um, but I, I do find it fascinating that, you know, ethanol, where you stood in ethanol, to sort of be a make or break in Iowa, and we are barely talking about it, that issue here in the state of Iowa this time around. Yeah,
6: I think the, the broader issue is... is Climate change. I, I remember something very vividly from uh, Secretary Vilsack uh, when he did a survey when he was the agriculture secretary. And he said they would survey farmers and they would say. And the former th- governor of Iowa was the former Joe Biden. That, mm-hmm. that, same, that same No, no I Vilsack. just want
5: to, you know, because uh, Biden has gotten the, the Iowa Democratic establishment behind him for sure. what that's worth. Go yeah. ahead.
6: So he made the point when they would survey farmers that has weather changed, patterns changed your farming? Yes, 80%. Is there climate change? No, 80 percent. So yeah. well, <laughs> climate I? change became a sort of a, a hot button, a partisan spin on it versus, of course, weather has changed mm-hmm. and their farming has
5: changed. Based upon my reporting, and again, maybe this will change. To me, it still feels like a bumper sticker issue. I don't know what the different plans are. I hear Green New Deal. I hear stop global warming. I hear, you know, we got to have the private sector involved. I hear all of that, but there's, there doesn't seem and Maybe it's maybe it's that I got to ask better questions, but it doesn't seem that there's enough nuance yet on the particular issue. To Rick's point and to Adrian's point, when I was speaking to voters yesterday at the uh, Buttigieg rally, actually, they were undecided, and I said, what's the number one issue? And you heard healthcare, you heard the economy, uh, but, but the, for the folks who said climate change, I said, how has it, my follow-up was, how has it directly impacted you? And that's what made me think of it, Fred, is they said patterns, I mean, weather patterns on their farms. And so if you're trying to foreshadow four years from now where Republicans are going to have to be on this, there is, you know, arguably a spiritual element to it. But there's also the farmers who really are noticing how it's impacting them. And I'm struck that I I just think the debate just isn't as nuanced enough, Adrian.
8: Yeah, I do, too. And, you know, again, it used to be an issue that was a make or break for a candidate in Iowa. Where where did you stand on corn-based ethanol? Where did you stand on subsidies? We're just not hearing a lot about it this time no. around. But I do it's think... A lot I, of
5: subsidies it, for these farmers out here with the Trump administration. Well, I would, and I, and I, I would say, and I'll, I'll make you
7: have to do the disclaimer, the one guy who's out talking about climate is Mike yeah. Bloomberg, who's nowhere near Iowa right now. Right.
5: <laughs> well, I well, wanna, coming up, we're going to talk about the candidates who aren't here and the importance of Iowa, including Bloomberg. And for the disclaimer, he, of course, is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News. But I think it's interesting, Rick, uh, I think it's interesting because even him, he hasn't really given specifics. In the Bloomberg Terminal, there's a great story about a lack of specifics coming from his campaign. Next hour, I'll interview Donald Trump Jr. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Panel stays. We check in with the Warren campaign. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
1: You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli, live from the Iowa caucuses on Bloomberg Radio.
5: We're broadcasting live from downtown Des Moines, where in just under, in just more than an hour, those caucuses, the caucus sites are going to open. Adrian Elrod, Fred Hochberg, we were talking about this before the break, let's just finish it off. Michael Bloomberg isn't here. He's Is that not. a
8: mistake? You know, here's what I think is going to be so interesting, Kevin. He's not here, right? But you've got to keep in mind that even though he's, you know, not intentionally doing a lot of local cable, you know, his ads are everywhere everywhere here. So what I think is going to be fascinating tonight, knowing that for the first time in caucus history, the raw vote total will be announced. You're going to see people who do caucus for him, right? I mean, people are free to caucus for him. And it's going to be interesting to see what that actual number is. If it looks too low, I mean, I don't think it's going to have a major impact, but if he comes away with like, you know, a thousand people who caucus for him and the first alignment of raw vote total that comes out, that doesn't look, look great for him. So people are still, the bottom line is people are still going to vote for him in New Hampshire. He's not on the ballot, but people can write him in. They can still caucus for him in Nevada, and they can still write him in South Carolina. So he's got to make well, sure that I, he's managing those expectations and reminding people time and time again, But also, I haven't played here. I'm also not in my But also, is it a mistake to state. forget
5: about the heartland?
8: Well, yeah, I don't think he's forgetting about the heartland because he's going to play in every single other state. Yeah, But you do have to be very careful, again, because but there are going yeah. to be people who are supporting him. And if he comes out of here with 1%, 2% of the raw vote total, That's not a great look. All right. Just a
5: disclaimer. He's the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News. On the line now, a Dallas Cowboys fan, I believe, unfortunately, Julian Castro, former presidential candidate and former secretary of housing and urban development. Look, my Eagles weren't in the Super Bowl either, Julian. Former Secretary Castro. Sorry, I didn't mean to call you that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can actually commiserate with you because I'm an Eagles fan. My, Wait, uh, an Eagle's my twin fan. brother, Joaquin, took the Cowboys very early on. And since Joaquin and I were super competitive, I had to find another team. And I chose the Eagles. So we're in the same
5: boat. Mr. Castro, former HUD Secretary Castro, I got to say, I learned something new every time I'm on this show. I had no idea that you were one of the good guys. I appreciate there you, you backing the birds. And, hey, Andy Reid won. All right, enough about football. Let me ask you about Warren. How's she going to do tonight?
1: I think she's going to do well. Uh, you know, I've been out here most of this past week uh, talking to volunteers, uh, talking to organizers, getting out to different parts of the state, from Western Iowa to we're in Des Moines today. I was in Eastern Iowa the last couple of days. I think she's going to do well. The truth is that, you know, the best way to describe it is a jump ball. I know exactly yeah. what's going to happen tonight, but she's put in the work. Like, nobody has worked harder over the last year of this campaign. I saw that firsthand when I was a candidate. And I think nobody has a stronger message going into the last 48 hours, which is that she can unify the party, and she's shown that she can beat an incumbent Republican. She can beat Donald Trump if she's an me right, so let me ask you
5: this, because there's so much about expectations, and I know you're going to, you know, we pundits, that's what we do. I'm, I don't consider myself a pundit, but you know how it works. Does, does she need to place top five, top four? Where do you place her?
1: Well, I mean, I think she needs to do well. Yeah, the first two people. They're going to be, I think that the truth is that, especially because, as your listeners probably know, this is the first time in caucus history that they're going to report out more than just the overall delegates that a candidate gets. They're going to report out the raw vote totals and a couple of other reports, too. So the truth is that they're probably going to be, uh, you know, several different tickets out of Iowa. And I believe that she's going to have one of those. She has the best ground game, I think, out there. She's got a lot of enthusiasm behind her, a powerful message. And yeah, I think that she's going to have a good night. Where she's going to come come up uh, in terms of the number of overall delegates, like I said, it's a jump ball right now.
5: All right. In terms of what you're hearing from folks, what, what is it about Warren's message? Because or how does she differentiate herself from Bernie Sanders in the sense that it, it would appear that based upon at least polls here in Iowa, that Sanders has really surged. But how? when I was flipping through the, the channels in my hotel room last night, I saw her ad that says unity. It seems that she's trying to cast herself as the unity candidate. That's my last question because I know you got to go. Thank you.
1: Well, hey, look, I had a decision to make when I got out of the race. Both Bernie and Elizabeth uh, appeal to my progressive values. They have visions that I think the country can be proud of and would be receptive to in November. I made a decision to support Senator Warren in part because I do think that she's our best bet to beat Donald Trump, that she can bring the entire spectrum of the Democratic Party together and attract some independents. And some people who voted for Trump that are disillusioned now and will vote for her— and then secondly, she actually has a track record of getting things done. I saw her stand up, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. I worked right. with her when I was housing secretary. So she's done it, and she has a great vision, and she can beat Donald Trump.
5: All right, that's former HUD Secretary Julian Castro, who I never knew was an Eagles fan. All these years I've covered him at HUD. You know, I, I covered his confirmation, and I never knew that he was a Philadelphia Eagles fan. So I appreciate you calling in and, and, and laying it out for us. Appreciate your time, sir.
1: Glad
5: to be with you all right closing thoughts now from the adrian elrod and the fred hockberg closing thoughts you've got three minutes tell, tell me we we'll do we're going to do a, a, a quick take what's on your radar iowa caucus edition What's one thing that you're going to be watching for about this process that we haven't really gotten into tonight?
8: You know, I'm, I'm more intrigued, frankly, Kevin. First, first of all, I'm looking to see where Joe Biden lands, right. right? That's top three or four or even after four, but I don't think he's going to get after four. I'm intrigued to see how Andrew Yang and Amy Klobuchar perform. stole Yang from because Because here's the thing, and, and and Fred knows this, and and Kevin, you know this too, Typically during the Iowa caucuses, there are deals at this point that campaigns make with each other, especially for those who are pulling under fifty percent at fifteen percent threshold where you basically say, okay, listen, second alignment, like, you know, maybe I'll make you my labor secretary. (laughs) If you are my XM, where you can run the XM bank, Fred, (laughs) if you will get your people to, to support me in the second round of alignment. There are no deals this time around. And frankly, really, with. Yeah. I mean, at least publicly that we're aware of nothing that's been reported. There have been attempts. Right. The Biden campaign has tried to contact the Yang campaign and the Klobuchar campaign to try to get some deals done. But there have not been any official deals that have been reported. And even if there were, Kevin, I'm not quite sure. Especially with sort of these, you know, these I'm, you know, my way or the high. I, I'm doing it my own way. Types of, of caucus goers out there that are part of the Yang campaign, for example. I'm not quite sure that even if there was a deal, that you could rely on some of these caucus goers who supported their candidate to go in mass to this next to, to whoever the deal was cut. So I'm interested to see basically as a result of that, does Andrew Yang, does Amy Klobuchar? Does Tom Sire? Do they actually come out of the state with even one delegate?
5: Elrod's got her eye on the deals. I, I, that's, you know, that's why we love having her on the shows because she takes us back into those back rooms, or honestly, these days it's not even like the cigar bars; it's like at the gym because <laughs> that's all the type A personalities who are like working out and like, you know, all anxious and over caffeinated. But anyway, Fred, what's on your
6: radar? I think that the. I understand the reasons about having four different numbers come out of the Iowa caucuses. I think that is three too many. I understand the reason, but, you know, we're all simple people. We need to know there's one clear winner, not one. And I then, agree. And there's a footnote on every single candidate. Yeah. Well, Bernie
8: Sanders count. demanded this. This was something his campaign wanted transparency, and yeah. the DNC responded.
6: And I think there's that, one
8: winner. That's why I don't buy
6: this. I interrupt. you. I don't buy this. So I, I think that's just a mistake. And I think it may actually, it could comp- possibly compromise the whole idea of the singular role that the Iowa caucuses have played presidentially, because it becomes totally muddied and confusing, and therefore there's no clarity around. You know it's it. on my radar. We got less than a minute. Go ahead,
5: Adrian. Yeah, no, I just
8: say really quickly to the people who don't think that Iowa should play the prominent role that it does in the primary process—that actually, I do. This will help I that. love yeah, Iowa. This will I help.
6: love the Hawkeye State. And I mean, the other thing I would say is a lot of it has to do with. How compelling your precinct captain is to... Bring people over.
5: Yes, yes. It's like and it's local. You have got to convince your neighbor. What's on my radar is I'll never forget the Uber driver yesterday said to me, "I can't wait for these text messages." All the campaigns are texting, are texting me, and they're sick of it. I'm like, we got courtesy calls back home. They've got courtesy calls and text messages from the campaigns here. Thanks, Elrod. Thanks, Mr. Hochberg, and of course, thanks to Rick Davis and all of our guests, Julian Castro, Stacy Walker. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.